That was Social Distortion with Ball and Chain here on 97X, Modern Rock for Cincinnati and Dayton. Plus, that was Heart, uh, I mean, Concrete Blonde with Joey, and this set got started with Hamilton's own Monkey Biscuit. Speaking of Monkey Biscuit, let's check in with our own Rowdy Rob Urban live at Bogart's before the Dred Zeppelin show tonight. Rob, how many beer bottles are broken on the men's room at the Bogart's floor at the moment? You can't count them all more than there are stars in the sky. There's more broken beer bottles than there are stars in the sky. We're looking forward to it. Uh, Dred Zeppelin's the greatest, you know, live, so it should be great at Bogart's. It's a 97X Lodo show, too, there. So join Rowdy Rob and some broken beer bottles. Yes, we have beer at all the bars, and then there's uh, popcorn and Mountain Dew at the back bar. That's right. Yeah. Special price on Dollar ninety-seven or two ninety-seven or three ninety-seven. I can't remember. <laughs> and the popcorn was uh, popped easily three months prior to the show. No, actually, they popped the popcorn when, when the police played there in 1978, and they're still using the same popcorn. <laughs> Can't throw anything popcorn. away. Rob, thanks for joining us. You were uh, an illustrious part-time DJ at 97X, and you were also a radio celebrity beyond 97X for many, many years. Tell us about that other gig you had. The post-97X gig that, that you pretty much got me? No, 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 the Chris and Rob. Oh, yeah, Chris and Rob. You know, oddly enough, Chris just called uh, 20 minutes before I came down here to Bogarts to uh, talk about the uh, country music uh, Ken Burns documentary, and then I turned on the TV, and there it was. So, uh, yeah, Chris and Rob was a show we did on Way for I have no idea how long, and we were on numerous different time slots, but always on Tuesday. And, yeah, I think Cincinnati Magazine named us best talk show in Cincinnati, which was setting the bar pretty low. And City Beat did a few times. And it's amazing what you're going to do with a bunch of press releases. All right, well, let's talk about your 97X days. When did you start there, and how did you get the gig? I got the gig because uh, I don't know who. Maybe it was uh, Chris Adrian? I don't know. One of the salesmen went to Furrow's Lumber on Route 4 in Fairfield to try to sell them an ad. And my brother was happened to be the manager of that furrow lumber in Fairfield. And my brother told him, well, you know, I can't uh, buy an ad because I'm just a local manager, but uh, why don't you hire my brother? He's looking for a radio job. And uh, so somehow my brother Chuck said, here, call this number, ask for, I guess it was Phil, maybe Steve. I don't remember who. And uh, you then because I guess they're desperate and they need somebody. And since uh, 97X was desperate, they were so desperate, they hired me for a weekend gig. And uh, what was that, 96, I think? No, it was way before then. Yeah, it was before uh, that. Yeah. Yeah, 92. So you're like Richie Cunningham. You have a brother named Chuck. I had a brother named Chuck. Yes, I did. And, I, and, he, and he was taller, just like uh, Richie's older brother. And, and why did he pimp you out to a radio station? You must have had the background in it. Well, he knew I did a, a, a radio show in college at Bowling Green State University. I, Ziggy Zumba Falcons. Uh, he knows that I did the radio show there, and, and I liked it. I liked doing radio, and so he knew that uh, I was looking for a job. And I think I had interviewed for an internship or a summer gig like every summer when i came home from school i would drive to oxford to try to drop off a tape in a 
resume, you know, a cassette tape in those days, and, uh, and try to get a summer gig as a fill-in or something, but I never did. And I probably had just been up there like a couple months earlier before this uh, fateful day when they, uh, the salesman showed up at Furrow Lumber. Did the salesman wind up getting a couple two-by-fours, maybe some wood screws? I hope so. I hope we got something out of it besides maybe, just... Uh, <laughs> maybe a pole saw to trim back the big bush by the party patio? <laughs> well, if he did get one of those, he never used it. <laughs> exactly. It took over. <laughs> or uh, any any uh, scram, uh, rodent scare away, keep the raccoons out of their record bins and stuff. He didn't get any of those stuff either because... That was the Wild Kingdom up there at uh, 97X. Yeah. I also remember you, uh, whenever I think of the Monorock 500, I know you always did a few hours every year of the Monorock 500. Isn't that correct? Well, yeah, because it was a holiday weekend, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. And so, yeah, I was uh, <laughs> yeah, I was on the weekends. And, uh, and they would have me... Uh, do and then somebody wanted to take the weekend off because it was Memorial Day or whatever. So if they were short uh, weekenders, you know, they, those shifts would be six hours, you yeah. know, from like noon to six or something Saturday, and then noon to six on Sunday. So yeah, I would do a whole lot of the Modern Rock 500 the years I was there. That was always fun. Now I always thought you'd be the one that would adjust the Modern Rock 500 and not agree that uh, that Elvis Costello song should have been 299. <laughs> I'm bumping it up to 297. Screw the man. No, but there, yeah, I mean that was one of the best parts of doing the Modern Rock 500 was the passionate uh, phone calls from people who are. Oh my gosh, how could you have social distortion two slots below hoodoo gurus? What are you guys thinking, man? You're so, you know. Some people really, really took 298 over uh, 301 very seriously, and they would call and let you know that you were messed up nine ways to Sunday because you had them in the wrong order. I'm glad you mentioned And people would always tape it every year, and I actually want to use this tiny podcast forum to apologize because when I was a part-time DJ like Rob was before I became full-time, I did the Modern Rock 500 once. And uh, Killing Joke song, 80s, was a 12-inch, so I played it at 33. And so it was like, 80s. And I didn't have any idea. I had never heard that song before. So somebody calls up and says, you're playing it at the wrong speed. So I just reached over and flipped the button halfway through the song. So... If you were taping a Modern Rock 500 and you have the uh, Dramamine version of Killing Joke, 80s, that's on me, and I sincerely apologize. Well, all right. That, at least that's good when somebody catches you. If nobody would have caught it, <laughs> yeah. and then you'd, if you'd have just taken the record off the turntable, then looked down and noticed, oh, 45 RPM, that would have been horrible. If you'd have played the whole thing at the wrong <laughs> speed, that would have been bad. But it's good if somebody caught it. And then you were able to kick it up to 45, but somebody knew what was going on. Yeah, they helped me out. Now, I also remember you being at a lot of 97X events or even things in the station going on. What was your favorite memory of your your era? The Rowdy Rob Irvin era? Yeah. All the... Uh, I liked... Um, 
all the stuff around town was always cool. I'm like all the stuff uh, like when the kids would come back to uh, Miami. 97X would be, you know, there under the water tower uh, passing out stuff, and that was always a, a lot of fun. And then, yeah, all the things at Bogarts, um, as dirty as that place was, all that stuff was a lot of fun. Going backstage, and and sometimes it was cool, sometimes it wasn't like a seeing the the dude from Mazzy Star screaming at the singer for Mazzy Star for some reason. I have no idea why, but she was almost in tears, and he's just, like, yelling at her about something when I thought they did a pretty decent set. I don't know what the problem was, but that was cool. Uh, Meeting Frank Black when he just says, Hi, I'm Frank, and, you know, he showed up, like, 45 minutes late. They started the show massively late because he'd just come driving in from Chicago. Hi, I'm Frank. I'm going to go on now. (laughs) Go good, good to it, Frank. <laughs> so a lot of that stuff was cool. I mean, just uh, it was it was uh, fun to be around, and the fans of the station, the people who liked the station, were cool. Were generally nice people who were interested in the music, and they weren't just there to pick up a keychain. Although they were there to pick up a keychain. But they also would say hi and would talk to you, and they generally were interesting people who had good taste in music, and they were worth talking to. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Bogarts a couple of times, so I do want to bring up the unfortunate incident that led to your double-secret probation. Can you tell us about that? Does anybody know about that besides people who worked there during those few months? This is an expose, (laughs) Rob. Um, yeah, I said uh, the security people at, at Bogarts were, were mean and dumb. But oh, I, I had some kind of joke, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> but basically, I uh, after they wanted to beat me up once for no reason that I could think of, I said that they were mean and dumb because there was also like a story in Rolling Stone that very week about all these clubs and, and larger venues how the security was just overzealous and was just like wanting to beat up people for no reason. And I was like, yeah, man, right on. It's going on in Cincinnati. So I said that the uh, people who work security at Bogarts were mean and dumb. And they, I think I said they should probably get a job being hod carriers instead of actually having a job where they work with the public. But then I said it twice. <laughs> and... And uh, it turns out that even though 97X was really, really cool and played a a lot of great music and had a great, cool staff, they did need to make money, and a lot of that money did come from advertisers like Bogarts. And so uh, complaining about the uh, people who indirectly pay your salary um, was not a brilliant thing to do. So I was put on uh, secret probation for like two weeks, I think. And then uh, I think it was Phil put me back on a schedule, and then the Doug Baylog, the owner, saw that my name was back on the schedule and decided he should finally meet me and uh, tell me that I'm really on double secret probation and that I can't go back on the air until he approves it, and then he approved it like a week later. So then I went back on the air. And, and, so that was my double secret probation. 97X. The future of rock and roll. 
we we've had Jim Mercer on the show recently as well too. Was there a separate whole clique that was just people on the weekends? It was weird because even though I was part of the station and I felt like part of the station, there could be like a month, like you know, eight shifts or something where I would see whoever was before me. Like I did a lot of Sunday nights because that's when Gridlocks was. And that's when I was Rowdy Robber. And so it could be like maybe I'd see uh, Jim Mercer or, or Tina Christina, and then I would see um, Bill Douglas or something, whoever came on after me on the overnight, and that would be it. Because none of the promotions people were there, none of the, the massive music staff or, or uh, massive advertising departments. You know, nobody else is in the building, man, except for, you know, the raccoon. But sometimes that worked to your advantage because I think I get an engineering credit on your first cassette as Monkey Biscuit, right? Didn't we record that in the production studio? Uh, yes, you were the engineer for uh, Rob Irvin, Skin Is In, the uh, debut solo album from Rob Irvin. And uh, yeah, you, uh, I think, like you, sh- I, I mean, I knew how to, do it, but you showed me how I could do it, and then with the guitar strapped around my neck. You showed me how I could hit play and record at the same time with the guitar strapped around my neck. And then, yeah, then you, uh, you so it was during one of your shifts, I guess, a night shift? Yeah, probably overnights. Probably an overnight shift, so no one else was there, and I said, hey man, can I come up and make a record in the production room? And you said... Uh, let me ask Steve. No, hell with it. Yeah, go ahead. You know, that's... it's probably how it went down. And we and and who knows? We may have recorded over uh, some fantastic uh, Miami victory over Bowling Green or something in in ice hockey, or just a, some reel that was laying around. Because I doubt very seriously if I bought a new reel to record on. I just watched it behind the music, and that's exactly how Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon was recorded. Exactly <laughs> like that. It was nice. Yeah. You, were, you were really on the cutting edge of the uh, lo-fi type of trend. <laughs> Did not get much more lo-fi than that, and talk about uh, do-it-yourself. Yes, I made the, uh, the, the little inserts. I guess they're called J-cards. I made those on the copy machine at 97X. And I remember buying my own paper because I wanted to use colored paper. So I bought like pink and orange and blue paper. Um, But then, you know, I screwed it up a lot of times. And so there was a lot of uh, thrown in the recycling bin right next to the copy machine. and, And I did get reprimanded by Phil for, you know, hey, man. You can't use the copy machine because, you know, that copy, those copies aren't free. <laughs> no, I believe it. I think uh, Doug Baylog's attorneys, Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, will actually be going after you now for recording studio time and for services rendered and materials used. <laughs> and the uh, toner, toner, the toner charge, the interest on that toner charge, I'm sure, is uh, going to be something. But what was the name of your second solo album after The Skin Is In? The beans are done. Now, where's your dad? Yeah, the that raccoon one, did the engineering on that one, right? Ooh, no, no, I think I actually went to somebody's house and did that. Oh, okay. I thought maybe yeah. the raccoon. The raccoon did some remixes. Oh, that's The right. raccoon yeah, but... was like the flood of yeah. the mammal world. <laughs> <laughs> the 
he was awesome. The raccoon was was everywhere. I mean, I heard the raccoon. I never saw the raccoon because I hardly, I had no reason to go up into the record attic. But I would, you would hear things. But as you know better than I do, Damien, at three o'clock in the morning, you're out there, and you know the phone hasn't rang for maybe an hour and a half. You really don't know how big the audience is, and. If there's any sort of quiet or any, you hear, you are hearing stuff. You're hearing maybe it was a truck rattling by, maybe it was a raccoon or a possum or something scratching on the door, or the moths attracted to the lights. But you, I mean, yeah, you were, I mean, we weren't out in the middle of the wilderness, but you definitely could hear stuff in that building in the middle of the night by yourself. To explain to people, there was for a, a long period of time a raccoon living in the attic and we actually stored some music up there. So we thought he had like a little club for squirrels and chipmunks and he was mixing <laughs> late at night. And Steve Baker, who was our engineer, uh, tried everything to catch that uh, raccoon. And I believe the way they, they did it was they had a smoke fog machine out in the party patio and bubbles, and he went out to spin, and bake got him. Yep. That was the end of Club Varmint. <laughs> Waving the, the little glow sticks in each paw, and oh, yeah, woo, woo, blowing a whistle. <laughs> it was a party up there in the, in the patio. I remember being on the air, though, once at whatever, 4 in the morning, 3 in the morning, I don't know when. And, uh, you know, during an hour, how, how long is the mic actually turned on? Maybe like a 75 seconds for a whole hour, you mm-hmm. know, two minutes, maybe, if you had a lot to read. But during one of the times when I had the mic actually turned on, a spider dropped down from the ceiling, like between my <laughs> face and the mic. And, you know, you get pretty close to the mic when yeah. you talk. So this spider was pretty close to my eyes when he crossed my field of vision. And I'm sure that cassette tape is laying around somewhere of me going, Ah! It's a spider! Ah! You know, right in the middle of a back-selling Bauhaus or something. Well, which, oddly enough, Ah! It's a spider! And it'll be in four that week on the People's Choice Countdown. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. On the, yeah. Went, made a jump from local licks to the uh, People's Choice Countdown. Exactly. Exactly. So you did mention, Rob, that uh, after... 97X, you did wind up in Cincinnati at uh, on the Gary Burbank show. So tell us a little bit about that. You were hanging out down there, Damien, and uh, you said uh, that there might be an opening, and you encouraged me to apply for it, and uh, and I did. And I think uh, Duke, uh, Dukey Sinatra, sort of knew who I was from 97X and Chris and Rob, believe it or not. So he was kind of, uh, and I'd met him, I think, once or twice before, different big rock shows. And so uh, that, that went well. And then I got a job down there at, uh, in Cincinnati working for Gary Burbank and uh, the Dub L Dubs. And you did that for quite a while, right? Eh, like 11 years, I guess. Not yeah, something like that. Yeah. And what are you up to now? Oh, man, now, you know, I wear a name badge and I push a cart. So, yeah, now uh, it's just pretty much a Joe job. But, you know, there for a while, I was uh, doing walking tours and over the Rhine. So I'd have to get up in front of this group of, like, you know, 20 to 70 people and start yelling uh, as we were doing this walking tour. And maybe when I did those for two years and maybe once 
did somebody say, hey, I know you, um, you are from the Gary Burbank show, I've heard you on WLW talking to Gary. Dozen times or more, two dozen times, people said, dude, you're Rowdy Rob, aren't you? From 97X. Wow. Which, that, that was the kind of people that, that listened to 97X. They really listened. It wasn't just something that was on in the background. They were actually listening to it and paying attention to it and enjoying it, not hate listening to it. Like That's like the only thing you can do to most radio today is to hate listen to it. Like, oh, God, they're going to play that song again. Why are they playing Welcome to the Jungle again? Who needs to hear that now? But uh, back in the 97X days, people, I think, listened to it, and I think they really, really liked it. We played uh, Nirvana. I know we played uh, uh, Bleach on yeah. Gridlocks with Rowdy Robert. And so when uh, Nevermind came out, the station didn't think anything of adding it to to the mix because you know it was a band that we I was already playing you know long before anybody else ever played in the country probably maybe a couple stations in Seattle are playing it but we played along before and I and I was also at that time being a substitute teacher and so uh, once I think 97X may have already quit playing Smells Like Teen Spirit because you know they we played it for. Three months, four months, we quit playing it. Yeah, once UBE then, started playing it, we stopped playing other, it. Yeah, other stations started playing it, and I remember all these kids at Fairfield High School talking about this song, and they couldn't understand any of the words. And I remember um, I, I wrote the words on the chalkboard. <laughs> it smells like Teen Spirit for them. And they all thought I was really cool as they threw paper wads and uh, taped kick-me signs on my back. You were like Mark Harmon in summer school. That's awesome, dude. I was like Gabe Kaplan. I was, oh yeah, I was, I was really reaching out to the youth of America and, and making connections that still live today. Well, oddly enough, I'm the Freddie Boom Boom Washington of modern rock, so that was a great reference. <laughs> and ooh ooh ooh, I'm Horseshack. <laughs> and with that, we're going to be uh, playing uh, some Dread Zeppelin, and you can come down tonight and see Rob uh, at Bogart's. I know you haven't ever listened to this podcast, and we do have a rule that we're, we have to end it after two Bella Lugosi's are dead. <laughs> and we've probably hit that point, point of two Bella Lugosi's dead. But I do want to find well, I'm going out... I'm going to be like, you know, you know, Pete Rose has written more books than he's ever read. So I'm going to be like <laughs> Pete Rose, or I'll have a, a, appeared on more podcasts than I've ever listened to. The future of rock and roll. Seven X.